We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We're talking about a Nets win over the Milwaukee Bucks, 125-123. I guess two MVPs is better than one, right, Jack? It's not too bad. I also have uh, just one thing to start with for DeAndre Jordan. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Just thought I'd recreate the little meme there. Uh, he was awesome tonight. Great little win over the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the best team in the East. Oh, I don't know. Maybe the Brooklyn Nets, maybe. Yeah, I think so, Jack. We'll talk about that and plenty more in the buzz. As always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, where do you want to begin? You want to go with that final stretch of the game? Yeah, let's go to the final stretch there because it was stressful. Really, yeah. really stressful. There was defensive stops from Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan. There was Kevin Durant and Joe Harris buckets. There was James Harden being James Harden. I don't know. The, the, the clutch three from KD off the James Harden miss. He gets the offensive board, kicks it out. And in my heart of hearts, as soon as I saw him take it, I'm like, it's in. It's in. Yeah. I don't know. How did you feel? Yeah, I felt like it was going to go in. I saw a couple Warrior fans tweet. It's like, as soon as KD gets the ball off the offensive rebound, you know it's going to be a made three. Top of the key like that, lined up, wide open. It was just almost kind of too easy. And then the Joe Harris play, too. You know, knocking down that three, running that set for him. Nice little screen from DeAndre Jordan. Just like I, I said to you before, Air, like having a guy like Joe Harris on the floor when you have these elite scorers and playmakers is just gravy for the offense. It's just like this added extra layer that's almost impossible to defend because you cannot send extra attention to Joe Harris when you have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and in the future, Kyrie Irving on the floor. Like, it's it's remarkable. It's insane that this this much offensive talent is on the same team. Scary hours haven't even begun yet, Nick. You know, it's a little bit spooky right now, but it ain't scary yet. 
It'll, it'll be scary for the teams in the East, though, and I thought this was a great test for them. Obviously, they don't have that full synergy yet. They don't have that full chemistry, but they were able to win a game down the stretch against a team that's been together for years. You know what I mean? Other than Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Antetokounmpo, like they're all guys, they have chemistry, and that's we're able to make just one more play than them and win by two points. You know, a lot of credit to the team and just the offense being so efficient down the stretch and then getting the final stop. Obviously, 3.5 seconds isn't a ton of time to defend, but they still were able to force Chris Middleton to take a shot that he probably didn't want to take. Yeah, and that's what happens when the MVP of the league can't shoot a jumper. Simple as that. You know, he's a spicy P with some bigger biceps and bigger deltoids. Look, I love I love Giannis Antetokounmpo, but DJ was great on him tonight. You know, you tweeted out early, Nick, that DJ was going to be the one guarding him. And I think a lot of Nets fans are like, oh, got the heart in their mouths. But the way the game plan and, and the way that it was executed by DeAndre and the rest of the players, look, he still gets his number just because he, he gets offensive boards. He gets these easy buckets. He gets one three and one little mid-ranger here and there. But I thought that for the most part, it was Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday that were doing the damage. Yeah, I thought DeAndre Jordan really did a nice job on Antetokounmpo. You know, we saw Jared Allen in the past, but Jared Allen didn't necessarily have the muscle and the strength that DeAndre has, and I think that really made an impact. You saw multiple times in this game, Antetokounmpo tried to body DeAndre Jordan, and it didn't work. Like, a couple times he was able to bounce off and still hit a hook or a fadeaway, but, you know, DeAndre did a good job tonight. I thought it was pretty impressive and something I think the Nets would go back to in a playoff series. Like, I think they feel pretty comfortable with that, especially having yeah. the option of Jeff Green on Brooke Lopez. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and for, for the record, DeAndre Jordan tonight, 6 of 6 from the field, 12 boards, including 4 offensive ones, had 3 dimes, a steal, and 2 blocks. We were saying that we didn't necessarily expect what he produced against the New York Knicks, but this is where it matters. Now, and I think that it, you have now, if you add someone else to it, you add like a Dwayne Dedman for, for the likes of, say, like a Nikola Jokic, those guys, or a Nikola Vucevic, those guys who can get us the perimeter and make it harder for DJ Moore, then that's going to make his life even and easier and now DeAndre Jordan we don't expect this for the next you know 57 games as long as he's producing this level of intensity this level of execution and physicality and determination and greediness in the 16 games that we need him for then I'm totally happy but yeah, this was maybe DeAndre Jordan's best game as a net Nick yeah I think it was one of the best games he's had at least this season I think we'd have to look back at last year he did have a couple you know relatively good games for the Nets last year but I think in terms of like meaningful and like proving that he has a role in this team yeah. in the postseason I thought he did that tonight and like you said there's going to be matchups where he's just going to get cooked like he can't defend Jokic he can't depend a, defend a guy like Anthony Davis anybody that's really going to pull him out to the perimeter and has you know a little bit of a bag like he's going to get cooked and that's where the Nets need to find somebody else but for some of these matchups where you don't have to move in the opposing center is so paint oriented and or the other team lacks a lot of three-point shooting the Bucks don't necessarily lack the three-point shooting but they obviously have Antetokounmpo who doesn't shoot really and you're okay playing the percentage against him you know DeAndre can find his way on the floor and I thought offensively did a good job catching the ball <laughs> which is always yep. important for him and I thought his positioning was a little bit better too on some of the plays and making himself an easier outlet for Kevin Durant or James Harden yeah, I thought he got those guys into good spaces a lot. Yeah. Now, that's something that he normally does, but I think it was more pronounced tonight against a higher-level defense. And one of the best defenses of the past couple of years. You know, yeah. they've been consistently top five, top three, if not the best in the league. So for the Nets to score 125 points on the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, they're going to score 125 points on any other team in the league. There's no doubt about that. It's going to be themselves that are going to stop them. You know, I, I thought DJ was great tonight in, in a lot of aspects. He had his moments, but 
but I think that the fact that I can't really remember, uh, and uh, it's not the overriding factor of his performance. The overriding factors of his of his performance was his physicality, was his tenaciousness, was his ability to get KD, Joe, and and James Harden in good spaces. His offensive rebounding, his tenacity. It's a it's a level of engagement that you want out of him quite consistently because he's an all star in his previous past. He when he has a great point guard next to him, he looks so great. And a lot of the lobs early were reminiscent of Spencer and DJ, yeah. but at the end of the game we saw that synergy right there where it was just like oh yeah that looked exactly like Clint Capella I've seen that a million times from James Harden because he draws the defense he times always that lob pass to perfection and it finally did work and it worked at the at a crucial juncture of the game so I think that they're developing their synergy it's yep. gonna get better and I think DJ is doing all the right things and I mean 38 minutes from him I mean when was the last time DeAndre Jordan played 38 minutes in a basketball game there Honestly, I'm not, I didn't even realize that. And I felt like he played majority of the second half. He really didn't get much of a breather. You're right, Jack. I'm honestly surprised he can still do it. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's a lot of minutes. I know he played a lot in that Memphis game that went to overtime. But impressive stuff, especially given he was guarding Antetokounmpo almost all of those minutes. Like, that's a, that's a tough job. And he was banging with him. So credit to DeAndre. Obviously, a couple turnovers. I did feel like there was a couple times where he was actually hacked and he didn't get the call. And yeah. And I was just like, you know what? That's okay. Like, he probably really only had three turnovers tonight. You still don't want that many. But overall, nice game for him. And like you said, it's not the – we typically will recap, and you'll have so many negative memories of DeAndre in your head, and that'll be what we recap. But tonight, a lot of positive stuff and something hopefully he can build on moving forward and give him more confidence. Absolutely. And and, and like I mentioned, you know, this is – we can't expect this – from DeAndre Jordan for a 72-game season. He doesn't just... He's, he doesn't have the the motor to do so. And that's yep. fine, you know. For a guy in his mid to late 30s, you know, it, it's going to happen. And not everyone is James Harden and Kevin Durant can play 35 minutes a night. Especially James Harden. I think he's really working his way into form. And he's going uh, to... 40 close minutes to, for Harden tonight. Yeah, yeah. It, and I think that part of it is to get his conditioning to an extent. And it doesn't look like he's tired out there. I thought there were moments tonight where Kevin Durant looked a little bit tired. But overall, you know, and obviously that strip on him uh, late in the game, I don't think it was tiredness. I think it was just really Actually, good defense. Yeah, I don't even think it was a strip, Jack. I think he just lost the ball. Like, I watched yeah. the replay, and it had just he kind of grabbed it, and it slipped out of his hand a little bit. Maybe Middleton got it, but it just kind of felt like more of KD made a mistake. Yeah, and look, that happens. You know, you yeah. can't be perfect. Even Kevin Durant can't be. And, you know, he was pretty close to it, Nick. I mean, the, the, I, I always feel like I'm like, man, Kevin Durant looks a little bit off. And then he finishes the night like 48% from the field, 30 points, nine rebounds, six assists, two blocks, uh, eight of nine from the free throw line, two or four from three. What more can we say? I got it. Someone called, I think, I can't remember if someone called me out or someone called out on like just saying how um, it's like the SpongeBob Eddie Murray's yelling, but he's coming off an Achilles. Yeah. It's like the Jason Tatum is only 19 thing. That's become our version of it. Um, it's insane. He is, uh, my, my dad's just like, I was saying to him, it's just like every single slow motion replay of Kevin Durant hitting some shot. Uh, I'm not, uh, what was your favorite shot, Nick? Because I have a feeling I think you know what, what it's going to be. Uh, I think the when he hit the hit Chris Middleton with the the dribble package with the combo, and then he went off that one legged floater. That was just like that's what guards do. That's what Kyrie Irving does, and Kevin yeah. Durant did it, and he made it look as just as smooth. I mean, it's just remarkable how talented he really is. And like you said, Jack, you know, 
a little rusty maybe in the first half, but second How half- is this a bad game for him, Nick? Like this is we're talking like I oh, mean Kevin Durant is a shit game, thirty points, twenty of twenty one from the field, eight of nine, nine rib, and it's just like and he hits a clutch three. He has one of the most insane highlights that we've seen this season. Like I feel like that highlight was probably as good as the one that the highlight that wasn't on Rui Hachimura where he yacked on him because the fluidity of that sh- of of this highlight and the composure and the creativity was just like, dude, that's something like you said, it's something Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Steph Curry and these guys do. Yep, and he made it look just as smooth. I mean, it's remarkable his handles. I thought his, you know, I think he showed off his handles a little bit more than normal tonight with Chris Middleton. You know, being such a good defender, having some length, and he felt comfortable hitting some of those behind the back dribbles. I thought he went to that move a lot tonight. It was great. And like I said, a little rusty in the first half on a shot, like you said. I think he was tired towards the end of the second quarter because he hit a lot of front rim. And, like, we haven't seen a ton of that other than the Russ game. So it's just crazy. I liked when he went got downhill. And, I, honestly, I felt like uh, Giannis fouled him multiple times in the follow-through, and I don't understand why that wasn't being called. And I also got- felt like Giannis set, like, multiple illegal screens on him in the fourth quarter, which you know about because I was in your DMs about it. <laughs> yeah, Nicky, Nick, watch, Nick is one of the few guys who watches the game and doesn't let the emotional aspect take over his ability to still see the game objectively. And, yeah, there was a he sent me some screenshots of Giannis sort of having his legs you know, wide work, you're doing that like groin stretch or whatever. It looked like he was in a defensive stance more so than a screen stance. And I'm just going to say this, based off of what I know, like typically your feet are supposed to be around the width of your shoulder. Like the more you look like a triangle, the more illegal the screen is. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think Kevin Durant is maybe with alongside LeBron James, the, and, and you could probably add in Kyrie Irving to a lesser extent, the, the guy who gets fouled the most, but doesn't get the calls. There yeah. was a three on him where he took it, and the guy just follows through. I can't remember if it was like Connaughton or or Forbes or whoever, and closes out at him, and they just knock him to the ground. And I'm just like, uh, is that not a foul in today's NBA? If that was, you know, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, it would have been called. I think the rest were pretty poor on both sides, but it seemed to be more pronounced for the Brooklyn Nets. I can't believe they missed the one where the three-point shot hit the line. At the end of the game, Kevin Durant was livid. I mean, I I couldn't see perfectly from the angle, but I'll trust Kevin Durant that he didn't grab if it hit the line. But uh, I was kind of annoyed uh, on the miss, well, the call that they had on KD when he blocked Chris Middleton from behind. Like, I don't even understand how that could have been called a foul. And the way in which he blocked it, it's almost impossible unless there was something underneath that I didn't see. To make the argument to play devil's advocate christian winfield of new york daily news made the argument because he saw he was at the game and yeah, he yeah, said yeah. that there was a follow-through of or of either um katie's arm hitting K, um, middleton's head so it okay. wasn't necessarily the ball uh, again playing devil's advocate for the sake of it but that's a challenge i think steve nash needs to make because it's your superstar you know it's his third foul at a key point in the game and i think that some of his foul trouble as well as probably a, a little bit of lethargy didn't allow KD to just have full rhythm. And he doesn't need it, but it certainly does help. You know, it turns a 30-point game into a 40-point game. Yeah, I saw a little frustration on Kevin Durant tonight, especially there was a play where he didn't get the call on one end, and on the next play, he just ran straight at Giannis's chest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I was like, okay, I, honestly, I don't really hate those fouls. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of like running through screens occasionally just to kind of set the tone or forcing the refs to make a call. You know what I mean? If you're feeling like the screens are a little bit late or they're a little bit there, that was actually a legal screen by Giannis. But I'm just saying, like sometimes that's what you just got to do. Not when you have four fouls, though. What did you uh, think of the shove at the start of the game, Nick, where Kade, where Giannis uh, apparently flops like his Trey Young? Yeah, I was like, I, I really didn't get that. I, I, I mean, like, 
Kevin Durant was just running and he just kind of stopped and, you know, like you put your hand on someone's back to stop. I didn't think it was anything malicious. And like Giannis made it seem like he just got trucked over by like, uh, <laughs> I don't even know, Bruce like Shaquille Brown. O'Neal. Like, yeah. I was going to use a football yeah. reference, but then I realized he probably wouldn't have gotten it. So. Ah, the, the, the listeners got you spoke about the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. I know some of these things, um, but yeah, I, I had a bit of a chuckle at it because it's just like with Steve Nash's son to Trey Young, Kevin Durant is sunning Giannis, and apparently, I, I believe Kevin Durant is an idol of, of Giannis under the Kumpo as well. So it's just like there's this little bit of evilness and and swagger that I've mentioned about before about the Brooklyn Nets that I really do like, and I'm all about Nick. But yeah, uh, Kevin Durant w- was incredible tonight, um, and uh, to me, again, this wasn't the best version of Kevin Durant because foul trouble certainly didn't help him. There were some times where defensively he was a bit out of sync, but I think overall, you know, if this is the worst version of Kevin Durant, and it seems to me this is an average game from KD going forward, I think, you know, when he speaks to the media after the game, he's going to be like, yeah, I didn't have my rhythm. Yeah, I was a little bit sloppy on passes, and that's because he had, you know, three turnovers again, but he still did have six assists. Um, So, I mean, uh, I think James Harden probably was a better performer tonight, Nick. Yeah, I really did. I thought James Harden did a good job of kind of carrying the team at different points, and just, he really does a great job of making his teammates better you know another 34 point game 12 assists six rebounds did have the six turnovers but you know some of that was on him some of that was on deandre jordan and you know this is james harden really excelling without his three-point shot falling you know he was three of ten tonight wasn't necessarily missed a couple open looks that he typically three hits. The, uh, the other night as well nick yeah so it's like he's not when his three-point shot is in rhythm he's just literally unstoppable but I feel like he's been driving a ton in Brooklyn, and he's done a great job getting in the paint. You've seen that floater, I think, more than we've seen in Houston, at least you know, based off of what I know and what I saw in the playoffs and what I watch a good amount of the Rockets, and I just feel like he's going more to that and going more to the paint, and it also could be a component of there just being more space, like playing with Joe Harris, playing with Kevin Durant, and then obviously Kyrie Irving, and then Jeff Green was knocking down threes, and I felt like the Bucks really started to respect the Nets' three-point shooters in the second half, and that just let James Harden go to work. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant, 2 of 4, Jeff Green, 4 of 5, Joe Harris, 5 of 7, um, 1 or 2 for, for Landry Shamit. You know, and overall, the Nets finished uh, 48, over 48% from there, 15 of 31. But uh, you make a good point, Nick, because James Harden has a bag. His bag is as deep as anyone else's bag. Maybe the only guy who's got a deeper bag than him is the, his, his teammate and best and one of his good friends on this team. He just has an ability and an intelligence that I think is underrated. You know, he just knows, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to push a little bit here. I've got to kick this one out. I've got to get the boards. I've got to run the break. I've got to slow it down. I need to find DJ. I need to go to the floater. He's just, inst- his basketball instincts yeah. are just so on point. And that floater, my dad was making uh, a comment on it. He's just like, it's so pretty and just so effortless. Yeah, it's a little different than what you typically see. The way his hand like placement a- on it. It's got a little twirl yeah. to it almost. It's an interesting shot. I mean, it goes down, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, you asked me your favorite play for uh, – my favorite play for Kevin Durant. What was your favorite James Harden play? Oh, the James Harden play. I don't know. Some of his defensive plays for me, Nick. I did a, a breakdown for Nets Republic uh, this morning on his game the, the other night. He's, he's debut for the Brooklyn Nets against Orlando. But tonight, again, it was his defense. He did have a block, and I think that there was other times where he just looked really strong and really savvy. And his ability – when you have him and Bruce Brown – and the back line in your back court, there's just strength of plenty out yep. of those two. So, I mean, there was a lot of good plays. You know, you love the step backs whenever he hits them. You love the lob play.
plays. You love just the dribble, dribble, dribble on Dante DiVincenzo. And then it's just like, dude, like you're not going to, the Nets have probably, James Harden is the hardest guy to defend in the league because you're just so wary of fouling him and giving him contact because he knows how to draw it better than anyone else. He does a great job of showing the ball and then pulling it. It's like funny. I don't know why people swipe. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's hard. You, it's just a natural instinct. Yep. And James Harden forces you to make bad decisions on the on the defensive end. And the, I mean, he did only get to the line six times tonight. I thought he probably could have got there a couple of times more. But it was a, a great game for him. And I thought that the way he is like stepping up as an on-court leader as well, Nick. Yep. You, know, you see some of the timeouts as well, the behind-the-scenes, if you're watching an NBA League pass, him chatting to, um, to, to Steve Nash in timeouts too. And the way he's helming the second unit, you know, he's making, like you said, his teammates look better. And look, the Nets bench right now is struggling a little bit outside of probably Bruce Brown. Um, yep. You know, they're, they're getting spurts, uh, if anything, out of Reggie Perry, TLC, and Landry Shamit. But the way that James Harden still is able to, I want it to be more selfish, if anything. Um, maybe not when Kyrie gets back. We'll see how those minutes are staggered. But James Harden, uh, incredible tonight. 41 minutes for him. And like you mentioned, all the stats. Uh, he's a goddamn superstar. Yeah, I mean, he's another MVP-level player on this team. And I just my favorite play was when he had Drew Holiday on him, and he kind of had his back turn. And then, like, a second later, he hits a step back over Drew Holiday. And I'm just like, you know, that is literally amazing. Like, he did it casually against one of the best defenders in the NBA. And it just goes to show how talented he is. It just – sometimes it almost feels too easy. And when Kyrie's here, I'm just super intrigued to see how defenses react. Like, I'm not sure what they can do. Drew Holiday was really good tonight, you know, like, and, and you and I are really good fans of him, and not just because he's been in Nets out, we've seen him in person for the New Orleans Pelicans against this team, I'm just like, how do you actually get past this guy at half court, and, you know, he was he was guarding, you know, 108 feet or however long the basketball court is for, for James Harden, and it was, he made life tough for him, but he still had an incredibly efficient night, and, you know, he sometimes to make some turns and stuff, but, you know, James Harden was still, you know, the, the best player probably on the court tonight. Yeah, and I think this is why it's so hard when you have like an elite defender and then you have somebody on the floor that's not necessarily an elite defender because it's so easy easy to force the switch with ball screens. You know, you saw the Nets do that a ton tonight. Get Drew Holiday off, you know, James Harden, or get Chris Middleton off, Kevin Durant, and they go against Dante DiVincenzo or, you know, whoever the weak link is on the or Milwaukee four. Bucks. Yeah, or four. Like, I thought the Nets did a really nice job of that tonight, and that's just something they're going to be able to do more with Kyrie Irving. Or it's almost going to be set up where they already have the miss. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This match because 
this is a team. This is one of the better suited teams to defend the Nets. We talked about that before, given the defensive players they have. So, uh, if they can do this against the Bucks, I'm not sure many other teams in the NBA stand a chance. Yeah, I mean the the Nets aren't at their fullest iteration right now. They have three guys to still add to their roster. They still have their third superstar to add in, and it's James Harden's second game, and yep. it's Kevin Durant's fifteenth game. And the Nets should only get better, especially defensively. Steve Nash has made comments that we'll get to some quotes uh, after the game. But Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying there, Nick. And in that sort of respect, I do remember you alluded to earlier, especially in some of the Atlanta Hawks games, the fact that the Nets weren't attacking the mismatch a lot. And it seems to me that that's coming down to the players, just being like, you know what, get me that mismatch. And James yep. Harden and, and KD communicating and DJ being like, nah, I don't need that screen there. And if not, doing some off-ball screening action and some pistol action to get Joe Harris a three or Landry Shamit a three or Jeff Green a three, who was you know, incredible again tonight. The, the, the starters, Nick... We are pretty confident with those five and Bruce Brown. That's six guys I'm confident with. You add in Kyrie Irving, that's seven. You know, if you Mike D'Antoni, you're probably just playing seven anyway. But I wouldn't <laughs> mind having, you know, maybe if it's Tyler Johnson, experiment a bit of time with him or adding some other guys, some depth into rotation, you know, Trevor Ariza, Dwayne Dedman. We'll get to some of the names later on that have been reported uh, by the New York Post. But yeah, the starting five tonight, and I mean, I don't know how often we're going to get that out of DJ, but I'm confident enough. Yeah, I thought they played really well as a unit. You know, there was just like a lot of cohesion there. And then they just have a lot of size when they play DeAndre, Jeff Green, and Kevin Durant. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a substantially bigger unit than what we're used to saying. And and like you said, Jack, James Harden is strong. Like, he's like as strong as a lot of forwards in the NBA. So that's like playing with another good rebounder out there. And we know Joe Harris is no slouch when it comes to toughness. So, like, I mean, it's, it's really going to be interesting. I'm intrigued to see what the starting lineup will be when Kyrie Irving's back on Wednesday, which he most likely will be. I'm I'm thinking that it'll probably be Harris off the bench. Um, that uh, that's a guess from me because mm-hmm. we've seen him come off the bench already. I mean, Green has as well. I mean, you, you I think for defensive stability, you probably keep Green out there and just for some extra size yeah. and a guy who can just do that, those little things because you've got enough offense. And, and Joe Harris is greatest despite the fact that he is a pesky defender and he, he's always he's got some strength and he's always trying. He doesn't have the athleticism and the ability to to be as versatile as a Jeff Green does. So that would be my guess at this point. I don't know. Do you have similar thoughts? Different? Thoughts? Yeah, I think that would probably make the most sense. And obviously, Kyrie is uh, an elite three-point shooter as well. You know what I mean? So it's like he can do some of the stuff that you do with Joe Harris and he can do more offensively. And I think Joe Harris will be better utilized and get more shots with the second unit. I think he has a really nice chemistry with James Harden. You know, a little pick and pop we've seen between those two. We've seen it with him and Kevin Durant too. So I'm not really worried about Joe, you know, if he's starting or coming off the bench, he's going to get shots. He's just that good of a player. And it's just going to be, like I said, gravy for the offense to have a player of that caliber coming off the bench. (laughs) It's insane. You know, we we mentioned it before when he has come off the bench and how he's impacted Karis Avert. Um, and it's good to hear, hopefully, positive things for our guy Karis going forward. Check out Full Access Paces for more of that with Corey Waldron. But yeah, Joe Harris tonight, you know, 7-12 from the field, 5-7 from three, 20 points for him, six boards, uh, did have a dime as well. Uh, he's just, he's just, a, he hit the pull-up twos now as well. Yeah. I mean, there was that one pull-up two in the first quarter where he like, yep 
off the dribble, body bounce. Yeah, that was just pretty stuff. I mean, it's like he's just been hanging out with the superstars a lot. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of rubbing off on him. But I felt like the fact that he hit the threes early, it just almost like makes the defense even more stressed. It's like, ah, uh, shit. Like, we have to deal with Kevin Durant. We have to deal with James Harden. And then we got this dude running around screens, knocking down threes. And if we leave him open, there's like a 99% chance he's going to hit it. Like, he's been that good. And, you know, it just he continues to, you know, hit our expectations and more. He's incredible, Nick. And I think we expected this, but it's it's still still seeing it in action is insane because he makes the right decisions as well. You know, yep. whenever it's just like, all right, oh, I got, I'm, I'm a little bit caught here. I'll kick it out. Or, you know what, I'll drive it here. I'll put the pressure on the defense and then I'll and, and then I'll, I'll go for the layup or I'll go for the little mid ranger. I'll stop and prop. You know, five or seven from three as well. Uh, he, and he's said not it, Jack, the, a lot of great backdoor cuts tonight. Yeah, I think that that's something that is, is forcing as well and creates space for, for Harden and creates space for KD and, and it's going to create space for Kyrie as well. You know, there's going to be so much offensive versatility. We know that the Nets are already a top offensive team. They are only going to get better. And the second unit is going to be solidified with the uh, with uh, having a Joe Harris out there. I think it's going to be do wonders because he's already done it. And he doesn't care. Like, he's got his bag. He's got his money now. And he's got his nice little shiny haircut. And he's got Bring more back. open threes than ever. <laughs> Uh, it's just easy for him now. Basketball is easy for, for Joe Harris. Can you imagine him cooking on, like, who is it, Bobby Portis and, you know, uh, Pat Connaughton and DJ Augustine in the second unit? Like, he was going up against, you know, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Dante DiVincenzo. They're starting five defensively, the Milwaukee Bucks. It's probably the best defensive starting five in the league. And the Nets still scored 125 points. And Joe Harris still goes five or seven from three. Yeah, and they did it a lot of times effortlessly. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like they were putting a lot of effort. And a lot of the turnovers the Nets had weren't necessarily because the Bucks' defense was so good. It was just a lot of, like, ca casual passes or just bad plays. Like, there was a couple times where they just threw it out of bounds. You know what I mean? So, Nets clean that up offensively. They're just going to be able to do even more. And Joe Harris, the only starter without a turnover. You know, can always count on Joe taking care of the ball. What did you think about Reggie Perry tonight? Only nine minutes. Yeah, I mean, there was – I think – against these sort of teams, Nick, against the elite teams is where Reggie Perry is going to get found out a little bit. I think that Matt Brooks made a good point on, on his timeline saying that he's probably a better exterior defender than an interior defender. He's better on the perimeter than he is down low because he doesn't really have the verticality. He's not a great rim protector. Uh, you know, Brook Lopez has got some size on him. Giannis has yep. got some size on him. So I think that, that it's, a, it's a key weakness of the Brooklyn Nets right now. And Reggie Perry's strengths don't uh, really fit in and solve any of the weaknesses uh, and and the, that we do have. So it, it, he's going to learn from this, and I think it, it's you don't shove him out of the rotation, you know, especially without a, an, another backup center. But thank God that DJ was playing as well as he was, and and I did like as well. I was absolutely loving, you know, hearing the inside tracks on on TNT and, yeah. and hearing DeAndre Jordan providing some leadership. And he's just like, you know what, I don't care, you're a rookie. You need to be communicating out there. Uh, I think that. We give a lot of hate to DeAndre Jordan, but he deserves a lot of love tonight. Not just for his on-the-court play, but he's continuing to be a leader uh, off the court too.
Yeah, and even when his role is kind of fluctuating, I think he still provides that leadership and just a good locker room guy. You know, it's been noted by a lot of different nets. And like you said, Jack, I think Reggie Perry tonight, you know, against the elite teams, it's going to be a little harder for him. He's not just – he doesn't have the experience in the NBA and what to do. And obviously defending an offense like the Bucks have, you know, not even just the defense is elite. They have Giannis. They have Chris Middleton. They have Brooke Lopez. They have a lot of good offensive players. It's going to be tough for a rookie to go out there and make plays. But I thought there was a couple solid plays for him squeezing there. There was a couple, you know, rookie plays in there too. Yeah, I think he's he's a great rebounder. He's a tenacious rebounder. Um, so is that he, a lot of effort does, on the floor. He does, and and I think that that's one thing that you want from the rookies. You know, at yep. the end of the day, as long as they're they're going to make mistakes, and I think that the during the regular season, that's when those mistakes are necessarily as magnified. Is he going to be a playoff player? I don't know. Probably not. But I do also like that you know James Harden is still a willing passer to him. You yeah. know, I think James Harden is still going to make this kid better. You know, um, especially the last game we saw some some really good minutes out of him. You know, he did only have two points tonight, two dimes, and four boards. But I do think that he is going to learn from these experiences. And you know, I think you learn more from when you play against the better teams and what you need. You go, okay, oh well, this is where I need to learn. This is where I need to be smarter. Yep. This is where I need to communicate better. Um, and you know, against the teams like the you know the Knicks and, and whoever else, you know, it's almost window dressing on 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 what is already you know, what you already know about yourself. So look, Reggie Perry is going to improve. Um, he's a he's a young kid and he's going to continue to get better. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully by the time it's the playoffs, he's a third center or somebody, you know, he doesn't have to be in the rotation, but this is good experience to get why guys are injured and we still have those roster spots. But I thought Bruce Brown had some significant plays tonight, you know, eight, re- uh, eight points, six rebounds. It felt like he had way more than six rebounds because the rebounds in which he did have were just ginormous and he was like muscling three or four guys and i thought he was about to rip dante divincenzo's head off for that jump ball <laughs> i do love his reaction as well and for those that not obviously we, we do an audio podcast but he's just like shaking his head nah nah you ain't getting that ball off me my yeah. dude i would not want if you if i was trying to get a rebound of bruce brown once out of a hundred boards or if oh, and, and, and then i was gonna die i'm dead like i'm just gonna i'm counting my prayers already that dude is just like a, a phenom on the boards and it might be yeah and we're talking and I, I one thing I do really like is I like the chemistry as with James Harden as well he just does all the little things you know if there's a miss you know James, um, Bruce Brown's gonna get there he's gonna throw up uh, off the glass and, and get some points you know he's an incredibly tenacious defender I don't know if I've seen him actually go under a screen or like do the carousel of it sort of roll back sort of he just is like you know what uh, Brooke Lopez, I'm just going to get through you, my guy. My shoulders are bigger than yours anyway. He is Well, just... he makes him pay, Jack. Like, that's what he does. He, If you're going to set a screen on Bruce Brown, he's going to make sure you know you're setting a screen on Bruce Brown and not other nets. His, his shoulders are... I'm going to marvel at his shoulders consistently. The, the OnlyFans content, Nick, Bruce Brown is getting plenty Bruce of... Bruce Brown's shoulders of... getting its own account. <laughs> oh, dude, my dude. It's going to be Joe Harris 3s, uh, Joe Harris 2s, Joe Harris everything, and, and Bruce Brown's going to get a cheeky OnlyFans as well. But uh, he was incredible, especially that board late in the game, Nick. That was a timely clutch. Bruce Brown, it, it, we expect... We expect that from him now. You know, we expect him to contribute meaningfully. And I think, you know, listening to national podcasts, they're like, yeah, Bruce Brand's kind of this nice guy. Who are the, who's going to be contributing elsewhere? If you're watching Brooklyn Nets basketball right now, you know Bruce Brown is going to be contributing from henceforth and from henceforth since as soon as he got those minutes uh, earlier in the season. He is, he's a master uh, and he's going to continue to contribute and do the little things 
that the superstars shouldn't be doing because they have such a burden elsewhere. And Bruce Brown does the good things. He gets those boards. He flies up. He fights through screens. He makes it tough for the opposing offense. And, I mean, you can't say enough good things about this guy, Nick, you know, uh, because what he does well isn't necessarily the flashy things. And I think that makes it easier for him because that's where his strengths do lie. You know, I was talking about Reggie Perry and how a lot of his strengths lie, whether Brooklyn's Nets already have strengths, whereas yep. Bruce Brown's strengths lie uh, where the Brooklyn Nets' weaknesses are. They need strength. They need tenacity. They need ferocity in terms of making... Um, and typical for opposing offenses. He's an incredible rebounder. Um, and yeah, we got him for, for bugger all. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, Jack, he just fits the role that the Nets need. And the things that they need him to do, he can do every single night because it's not making shots. You know what I mean? It's usually effort-based things, so he can consistently do that. And we kind of joked around at the time when the Bruce Brown trade happened that, oh, is this a trade meant to happen if, you know, the James Harden trade goes through in a few days? And the fit with James Harden is even better than it was before James Harden just because that's what the Nets need. And like you said, getting some good chemistry when you have such a good defensive guard like that, he can help make up for some of the other mistakes you're going to see out there. Absolutely. He, he does so many things well and so many things that aren't going to show up in the box score. And he's impacting the Brooklyn Nets uh, and, and, have, and their success on, on, on the defensive end. You know, he, he's going to be incredibly important down the stretch for the rest of the season and in the season saying good things about Bruce you know I whenever he does a great he gets a great board he hits a great shot he gets a, whatever it is you know there's probably people in in Pennsylvania right now that can hear me yell Bruce I yell it so damn loud I'm not going to do it here because we've had some queries about my audio before but man I just Bruce 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 can't get enough of him yeah, I mean, he, he's a really great player. He's obviously a fan favorite already this early into the season. Uh, what did you think about some of the other bench guys in TLC and Landry Shaman? Uh, poor Nick. Uh, I think that they made a lot of mistakes. Um, yep. And I don't think that this is where we sort of mentioned before that, you know, the, the lights are at its brightest when you're going up against the best teams in the NBA. And you know, there was a lot of mistakes from Landry Shamit. You know, you look at the box score, uh, 11 minutes, five points, two, hit a couple of free throws, did hit his, his only three-pointer, uh, one of his three-pointers that he took tonight. You know, I think that he's going to continue to work his way into form. I know a lot of Nets fans are probably upset given that uh, the Jared Allen stuff that was reported today. We'll get to that probably a little bit later. But, yeah, it, it, he, he he's struggling a little bit. Um, and, you know, hopefully this is an impetus and a motivating factor for him. I think he's going to use this to spur himself to get better. I'm an optimist by nature, Nick, and I don't want to downtrod on, on a guy who has been struggling. And he, it's not like he's horrible, but he just gets found out, especially against these more physical big teams. And unless he's going to be Kyle Korver or Duncan Robertson or Joe Harris, then, you know, he's not going to add a heap of value. Yeah, I feel like Landry Shamit just needs the Nets to have a blowout or something where he can play like a good 25 minutes or something so he can just get a lot of shots up, you know, so he can start to get some rhythm and feel a little bit more confident because it is hard to find rhythm and confidence when you play 11 minutes. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to get into that same groove. That's something he has to get more comfortable with given this could be, you know, his role for the team the entire year or moving forward in the NBA. But you also wouldn't hate seeing Tyler Johnson, who was back tonight. You know, even if it's try him out for two minutes and see how he does. I think he's obviously not the same level defender as Bruce Brown, but he brings some of that type of energy for those hustle plays that, you know, are missed at times, especially late down the stretch. I feel like the Nets need to get a couple more loose balls. It just happens that they're insanely talented offensively. 
Yeah, no, and look, Tyler Johnson, he'll probably use at some point in time. You know, the Nets are playing some heavy minutes for, for a lot of their starters. So yeah. I think that he's he's going to be utilized at some point in time. But I also think that maybe Joe Harris going to the bench. Look, it, again, it's me trying to be an optimist. Hopefully impacts Landry Shamat positively because if all the guys are, are, are worrying about the best shooter in the league right now, then that's going to leave the dude who's trying to work his way into the form from the perimeter and elsewhere open for some of these shots. And it's not that... Uh, I, I'm not necessarily... It's not always just about his shot either. It's just that sometimes when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and when he's not shooting the ball... Is he impacting the game positively? And for a lot of the players in the Brooklyn Nets team, from Joe Harris to Bruce Brown to, to a lot of other guys, you can certainly say yes. And especially when you are a role player and you need to be able to contribute beyond hitting the hitting the scoreboard. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think there was a there was a stretch in this game. He got called for an offensive foul. Didn't yeah. get the the ball that was blocked, I think, by Kevin Durant. He thought it went off Bobby Portis and didn't end up grabbing it, ended up being Buck's ball. And then that same possession, he fouled Giannis. So it's like it feels like a lot of Landry Shamit's mistakes are like really clustered together. And it, it makes him seem worse than he is. Cause like you said, there are moments where he's he's fine out there. It's just like he's struggling in certain situations but uh tlc i thought it was kind of one of his rough nights which we know occasionally happens with him you know chris middleton was a little bit too much for him to handle and offensively he just didn't really have it going which is funny no. because he had one of the best games of his career against the bucks in the bubble yeah <laughs> i mean obviously he was a starter in a completely yeah. different sort of role and completely different sort of team as well you know um bring back dante hall sean <laughs> uh, but in saying that you know i've mentioned this before and i'll and i'll keep bringing it up TLC is a bipolar player, and when you are a role player, you need to to provide, you know, to get regular minutes and to impact the team positively. You need to do intangible things well. You need to provide a level of consistency. That's one thing that you know. Joe Harris is a role player. You know, uh, as much as we, I love him and I think he's the superstar, he's a role player. Bruce Brown's a role player. Back in the time, you know, Jared Allen, Car uh, maybe not Karis Levert, but Jared Allen was a role player. Jeff Green is a role player. These guys are doing the little things well, and when the the, the game is, is thrust upon them, they know when and how to execute. And you know, TLC uh, doesn't have the greatest uh, uh, basketball IQ either, and it sometimes gets found out against the better teams. And you know, he's going to have to improve if he does want to earn regular and consistent minutes because this team is only going to get better um, and he's going to need to perform and hopefully that brings out the best in him like with Landry yeah I agree Jack and I think that one skill that hopefully he can just continue to get better at is just being a better defender you know what I mean and I think it's somewhat the experience just being out there and going against some of these really good players to understand their tricks of the trade and then what they're trying to do against him because like you said sometimes it's just a basketball IQ or someone just being maybe a little bit more clever on the court and putting them in a compromised position yeah, I mean, he's had his role change quite a bit as well. You know, at the start of the season, he was he was starting. He started for a minute, yeah. Yeah, he was starting for a minute. So obviously, that change in role, that change in in, in what you're you're needed to do for the team, it's hard. You know, and, and we said that about other players as well. Be it you know, Carlos uh, Verde or Spencer Dinwiddie or these sort of guys. You know, Joe Harris has been thrusting in and out of the the starting and, and bench sort of role. You know, DeAndre Jordan as well. Uh, you need to be able to adjust to those changes because the NBA is ever-changing, especially in, in this season more than any other. So, look, hopefully these guys can can, can continue to improve because um, we're going to need that depth, Nick. I think right now we know the nucleus of the Brooklyn Nets is great. Uh, we know the, the five or six that we've sort of alluded to, but we need seven and eight. And I think in the regular season it's going to be fine, but we need seven, eight, and nine for when it does matter, when we're versing the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series.
Yeah, and you don't want to necessarily depend on your guys so much. You want to have options in case there's foul trouble or, you know, an ankle sprain or something minor where somebody needs to miss a game or two. So I think kind of getting these guys a little bit better or maybe it's just kind of making roster improvements in which we mentioned, you know, Sean Marks does still have three spots. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure that he'll be doing a little bit of work there. There's no doubt. Do you want to get to some uh, quotes, my dude? Yes, sir. What do we got, Jack? Uh, we've got uh, National Joe Harris. Joe is tough as nails. Elite shooter. Doesn't need the ball. He's a great fit for our team. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, no doubt. Steve. Steve come on. I know. He's providing uh, the spice for, for the buzz right now. One thing, though, that I think is probably a takeaway that I did want to bring, Nick, he also talked about the idea of engaging in 120-point shootouts. We have to improve defensively. Cause defense is an important thing if the Nets want to go far. Then you get spurts out of the net defense. And I, I write, I'm going to probably put out some plays uh, tomorrow. But you, you get spurts out of it, but then they, they leak so easily uh, at, at other points in time. Uh, do you have any confidence that it can improve, Nick? Yeah, I think I have some confidence it can improve in just to the extent of the communication. Like, there's plays where they just give up literally wide-open buckets. Like, that play to Giannis where he just came running down the floor and no one picked him up and he got a free dunk at the rim. Like, that's just something you can clean up. And I think that happens, you know, at least once a quarter, if not more. So you just figure if you clean some of that up, that's maybe 8 to 10 points a game, and I think that can make a huge difference. Then also, I think some of the effort at times is a little bit, you know, lazy, especially in the offensive rebounds when it comes to closing out on three-point shooters, which is one of the harder things to do in the NBA, but I think they can improve on that. I think also just kind of like we've talked about a lot with this team. They've barely practiced. They lack team cohesion on that end of the floor. You know, I think offensively you can play almost with just your instincts, in which you kind of mentioned a lot with James Harden. But defensively, I think that takes more experience, more chemistry, and just more reps together. And the Nets are really missing that. And obviously, yeah, talent and isn't the highest. No, definitely. And and look, I'll get to some quotes that relate to that from James Harden. But I was looking at you know the defensive ratings and, and all that sort of thing. And the Nets, I think, were like fifteenth or something, and which is probably you know. Um, an encouraging sign at this point in time. But, you know, the, the Clippers were like 19th or 20th and it doesn't seem like they're getting the criticism and everything. I've heard maybe one podcast sort of speak about it yep. because, you know, they're obviously integrating some new things and Luke Kennard, Lou Williams and these, these sort of guys. Uh, so I think that the Nets are okay. You know, if this is happening in game 70, that's when you, you continue to start worrying. And, you know, to me, it is the biggest question, but... You know, the uh, at the end of the day, is that big question uh, offset by the amount of offensive brilliance? To an extent. But the Nets are going to need to play some defense. And as James Harden said, smiling to Matt Brooks and, and the Nets media, I'm excited for practice, honestly. Excited to watch film and get better. Uh, he also did say this. The big, good thing about me is I'm not a one-dimensional player. And he said he's feeling pretty good, quote, after playing 41 minutes tonight uh, along his sort of conditioning. Do you think uh, James Harden seems to be really buying in as a Brooklyn Net, it seems, Nick? Yeah, he seems really happy. He just seems like he has that extra juice, that extra energy. And I think he's just really hyped to be playing with Kevin Durant again. You know, he's talked a lot about how great Kevin Durant is, how easy it is. And he also just mentioned the amount of talent on this team. And, like, not to say that every Rockets team he played on was bad or anything like that, but some of them just lacked some of this, like, versatility. You know what I mean? They were just kind of forced to play one way or it was, like, a lot of James Harden and Chris Paul, and now it's just, like, there's so many different elements to this team and what they can do. So I think he's just excited for the opportunity, and I think he realizes, given how long he's been in the NBA, and he hasn't been back to the final since OKC, that he needs to really buy into this moment and take advantage of this opportunity. 
Absolutely, absolutely. You know, he's he's relishing it. You know, he's probably as motivated as any superstar in the league right now to have some form of success. He needs it probably more than any other player at the same time as well. But Nick, do you want to get to some other stuff? There's, there's some other quotes here and there, but nothing necessarily that's worth talking about. The, the thing that I wanted to probably start off with is that the scary hours seem like they're going to be beginning against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, it looks like, you know, there was a chance we'd see Kyrie today. It ended up not happening, you know, given the Nets kind of want to get him in better shape and conditioning, given he's missed so much time. So I think that's kind of the reasoning behind that. But it should be insane seeing him play Cleveland. You know, it's funny. And I saw a stat, too, is he's only playing Cleveland, I think, once since like 2017. Well, he's, he's an injury-prone player, and you know he's. The, and, and we heard Steve Nash say that he's excited as well in, in the post-game press to get him back. And there is going to be a practice. We heard him say that he's been kept out for conditioning reasons and for health and safety protocol reasons. I mentioned something on JBT that I was sort of reading between the lines. If you want to sort of hear about my maybe controversial thoughts, uh, check out that on, on the OTG Basketball YouTube, Off the Glass on YouTube, because I don't necessarily think it was just uh, health and conditioning and, uh, and those sort of things. But also, Nick, it'd be remiss of us. We are one of you know, a couple of different platforms that do highlight Kyrie Irving and his awesome brilliance off the court. Uh, according to Stephen Jackson, when he was on a podcast at the rematch, he alluded to that um, Kyrie Irving had bought a house for George Floyd's family. I mean, Kyrie, you can, Kyrie Irving can do a lot of dumb shit and he can do a lot of bad, but his heart is as pure as hell. Yeah, Kyrie Irving it can be an annoying person, but he is a good person. You know what I mean? You have friends that annoy you sometimes, but you love them and they always do the right thing. And that's, you know, Kyrie Irving is that person. As much as he might have annoyed you, he might make questionable decisions, say things that are somewhat irrational. But at the end of the day, he's a good person and he has no issue helping others. And we've seen that on occasion after occasion after occasion, especially when people are in need, Kyrie Irving steps up on a regular basis. And you know the one thing as well is that he never broadcasts it. It's always everyone yeah. else for him. It's just like Stephen Jackson told the media about this. We would you you could only imagine that what else he is doing behind the scenes that we don't know about. You know, he yeah. does so much for the community at large. He is an empath by nature. He does so much for everyone else. And look, there's sometimes where you can be a little bit self righteous and you know do some things that make you go scratch your head a little bit. But you know these sort of acts are just uh, really they're, what they're matters. Really- and if you're judging Madison. a person's character, this is what you should judge. Yeah, this is his character. You know, his basketball character, you can question that and you can question some of his decisions and his motivations in relation to that. But you can't question Kyrie Irving, the man, the person, because you know, he is a, a tremendous citizen of the world. And the, and the, the world needs more people like Kyrie Irving and, and the nature that he has is just nothing but empath- empathetic and, and giving. Uh, he, he's goddamn awesome. Uh, Nick, now I was alluding to this earlier. I was teasing a little bit earlier. Uh, Brian Windhorst revealed that the Nets tried to shop Landry Shamet in an attempt to keep Jared, Jared Allen out of the James Harden trade. Obviously, they got the Milwaukee Bucks late pick so that they could trade it uh, forward to, to uh, the Houston Rockets. Oh, man, it makes me sad hearing this. I almost didn't want to hear about it and know it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the Nets were able to keep Jared Allen in that trade, I think they would be title favorites. Like, I think that's how good of a player Jared Allen is and how much he fills a need for this team. And just imagine the catch radius he has in comparison to DeAndre Jordan and working with James Harden. I think, to me, it just kind of almost seems like a little bit of fluff because even if they were able to move Landry Shamit for a pick, they still had to worry about getting off Torian Prince's contract. And from my understanding, I think Seth Partnow mentioned this, uh, when the trade first happened, is 
the main reason Jared Allen was set to Cleveland was to get the first round pick, but also get off Torian Prince's contract. So it was kind of a two for one thing. And even with Landry Shamit or Sadiq Bay or whoever they could have drafted with that pick, I don't think they still carry enough value in which Jared Allen had that was able to go to Cleveland and get the pick and get off Torian Prince's contract. Even though Torian hasn't been that bad, his number is still a little inflated. Yeah, and, and a great piece from Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News talking about um, you know how apparently both of the both of the guys found out on the way to the Knicks game um, that they had been traded. And look, both of them don't necessarily have ill feelings toward the organization. You know, you, um, this is what Jared Allen said. You know, James Harden is probably one of the best scorers we've seen in our generation. Same with Kevin Kyrie, the great point guard he is. I probably would have done the same thing. At the end of the day, your job as GM is to make sure you're the best basketball team that you can have. Nick, I I have so much love for Jared Allen. It, it my heart bursts. It bursts. Yeah, I mean, I think I always I always love Spencer Dinwiddie because he understands where he stands in the NBA and who he is in comparison to other players. You know, he's still confident in saying he's the best, but like when the Nets got this team, he was like, okay, I understand that I have to change it to a new role because it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And Jared Allen, it seems like has that same idea of like who Jared Allen is in the NBA currently. You know, he could still ascend to being a really, really good player. But at this point in time, he understands that James Harden is one of the best in the league and not to take that to heart. If anything, it's kind of almost a positive like, hey, I was traded for literally one of the best players in the league. It's not like he was traded for Aaron Gordon. Yeah. And look, I my tweet that I, I put out about Jared Allen and, and what he's done, what he does for the kids at Thanksgiving and teaching them about budgeting and maths and um, it's still doing numbers. And uh, my guy, Larry Nance Jr., even got out there and tweeted about it. So uh, he's going to have... I love the Cavs now. They're probably my second favorite team. Um, shout out to the sex land and the trees. Uh, yeah. Maybe we got to get a tree for that uh, at designtree.com, dsgntree.com, slash off the glass. But yeah, the, this is probably uh, this is probably the one that breaks your heart even more, Nick. He's going, he said this, um, I'm going to miss seeing the smiles on the kids' faces. Definitely going to miss having Whole Foods right around the block, being able to walk across the street, go to a grocery store. It's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to miss about Brooklyn. We are going to miss Jared Allen so freaking much. Yeah, I think you, you obviously will miss him on the court, but off the court too, like you said, the things that he does in the community. And he's just like such a – like almost simple guy to an extent that just makes yeah. you enjoy him. You know what I mean? Like he loves the small things in life. He loves his video games. He loves making computers and stuff. So I think it just kind of makes him a little bit more lovable. He's got a, a just a wonderful soul, an old school sort of soul, Nick. There's – there is no darkness and no nothing in his heart. He is nothing but pure. And um, yeah, shout out to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Hopefully they're making the playoffs and maybe we can burst them in a cheeky 1-8 series or 2-7 series. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be so freaking weird going up against him. And it's his first game and he was sort of saying as well, it's just like, you know what? It's going to be nice to sort of, sort of say goodbye now. Jared Allen against DJ. There's a part of me that wants Jared Allen to play so damn well just to sh- shove it up the Brooklyn Nets because sometimes our love for the player extends beyond the franchise and when you are a person who is as good and as talented and is just awesome in general as Jared Allen you've got nothing but the the good things for him yeah I mean DeAndre better be ready to box out I think Jared's (laughs) gonna come to play I think he's gonna have a lot of energy he's also gotten plenty of rest you know he hasn't played in since like last week so I think DJ better be ready I think DJ will be a little bit more up for it though knowing this is a guy that he kind of helped mentor for like the last year and change. So like, you know, it, it should be a good game, a good yeah. matchup. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun, no doubt. And um, our hearts are going to be breaking even more, finally seeing him in that uh, maroon gold. But yep. Nick, 
Did you want to touch on Steven Jackson first, or did you want to touch on the the roster completion? Ooh, that's a good one. I guess let's they're kind of connected, so I guess let's touch on Steven Jackson first. All right, Steven Jackson responded to Shannon Sharp on his Instagram. Um, he, I love me a bit of Shannon Sharp every now and then. But Matt Barnes commented saying, I'm trading Kyrie and his BS for depth. Nets are scary. Um, Matt Barnes is also scary when he's committing domestic violence against certain people. And uh, look, I like Matt Barnes at certain points, but this is just not. Nah. No. I mean, it, it, like, I, I understand to the extent of which he's saying. I'm not saying that I would do it, but from an outsider perception saying that they they think that you could trade Kyrie and get depth, that doesn't really make sense, though, into the extent of, like, stars win in the NBA. Like, having three stars is better than one, like or better than two. You know what I mean? If it was, like, trading Kyrie Irving for another, like, star center or something, yeah, maybe that makes more sense to kind of balance out your team but like trading him for depth just doesn't really work and obviously we know the relationship with Kevin Durant and also I think the relationship with James Harden to an extent they're not super close but I feel like there's uh Team oh, USA that, say it again Jack they're, 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 they've connected a Team USA there's some videos yeah. of them sort of shooting together and, and having a bit of fun and having some laughs and I think there's a want from them to kind of do this as a trio. You know what I mean? To go there and do this thing. So, I mean, I get what Matt Barnes is trying to say. I disagree with it. And uh, I'll be happy to see Kyrie Irving in a Nets uniform with James Harden and Kevin Durant. Yeah, excited. Scary hours are upon us very, very soon, my friend. Um, we had the New York Post. Had Brian Lewis put out a nice little piece about the Nets sort of filling out the roster. And Sean Marks showing some patience, apparently, uh, in that process. Now, names that we didn't necessarily uh, contemplate on this pod as at this point, you know, we've done Dwayne Dedman to death, we've done Rondo Hollis-Jefferson to death, but some other names that were talked about were Corey Brewer, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and Ozzy Thon McCurr, uh, also Tyson Chandler but, and Kenneth Reed, but I don't really want to talk about them, even though Kenneth Reed seems to be getting a lot of traction. No thanks. I would prefer Thon McCurr, maybe Michael Kidd-Gilchrist to a lesser extent, and Andre Robison, who uh, you brought up quite a few times, Nick. Um, Don McCurr, what do you think he could add uh, as a young sort of up-and-coming athletic big? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing with uh, Thon is that he's really raw. And it's just hard to envision him playing a consistent role in a championship team. Like, I think that's what the question was to him is because it's not that he doesn't have talent. It's just that it's not disciplined yet, and he just doesn't necessarily have the best understanding of the NBA. Maybe if he wanted to come in and buy in and block shots and rebound and catch oops, I think that'd be a possibility. But... I just feel like the Nets would feel more confident in a veteran center, just somebody that has that playoff experience and that they could go out there and do the thing. I think if this was a role where you only needed him as your third center, I think he'd make more sense. But the Nets really need this center that they're going to acquire or sign to play real minutes. And they might be counted on in the playoffs given DeAndre has been so sporadic. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really hoping that Dwayne Dedman is the guy. Um, he, he just makes so much sense. A good rebound. that can space the floor a little bit. And I don't know why he's not an NBA team right now, to be honest. But uh, I think some of these off-the-court stuff with the Sacramento Kings uh, and the Atlanta Hawks is probably partly why. But, yeah, I think that vets, you need that experience is probably yep. what, what what is going to matter. And whether, you know, Rondo Hollis Jefferson can provide a little bit of that. But, you know, a Trevor Reza makes, seems to make some sense, as does and Andre Robertson, you know, some wings, some depth, some defense, um, some just guys that you know that you can sort of count on and contribute with. And Trevor Reza also has a history with Mike D'Antoni in Houston uh, as well. So I think any of those four names that I alluded to um, would be uh, nice little upgrades over 
you know, Landry Shamit, TLC, these sort of dudes. Yeah, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is a guy I wouldn't hate either just because he provides you a wing body. I know he played some small ball center in Dallas for a little bit too, so that's just like something else to consider. His jump shot is, you know, one of the worst in the NBA, <laughs> but he does provide other aspects to his game and that, you know, can have a positive influence on a team. I actually posed a question today on Twitter about, you know, who is the best player that could be bought out this season? There was a couple of people who thought Andre Drummond could be bought out. I think it's probably unlikely. I think Trevor Ariza is a guy that's more likely, like you've kind of brought up. Um, some people have brought up Hassan Whiteside. I don't think, I think that would almost be like having another DeAndre Jordan to an extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that the center, we need some steadiness with the center position. Yeah. Um, and whether it's extra wings, you know, I don't want to waste a spot on, you know, as much as Andre, uh, Andre Drummond is incredible and, and one of the best rebounding players in the league. He isn't going to be playing meaningful minutes in the postseason. Whereas I could see Trevor Ariza playing 15 minutes. I could see Andre Robinson playing 10 minutes. I could see yep. Dwayne Devin playing 15 minutes. I can't see that from Andre Drummond for as talented as he is. You know, I can see it maybe in, in spurts, but his defense is improving and is okay. But I think, you know, against an Anthony Davis, and I just think that he's, look, I'm not saying that, you know, Dwayne Devin is better than Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond, uh, Corey, please stay listening. Please stay subscribe, my friend. But um, Andre Drummond is an incredible player um, and does a lot of great things offensively. I just think that what the Nets need doesn't necessarily mesh and gel. I think that his skills would be better served elsewhere in like a Toronto or a Boston or somewhere else like that. Yeah, and I thought of another trade candidate would be Nerland Snowell. As yeah. like, you, you know, the athletic switchy big, which is like the complete opposite of DeAndre. Obviously, he's he's not like the most ideal center because he still lacks like stature and size. But I think he would at least give you another a type of versatility. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks were willing to trade him for a second or something. I think he's on a one year deal. Yeah, add in a JaVale McGee, who's just yeah. sort of just a vet, vet version of Nerlens Noel in a lot of respects. You know, he's got his, himself some chips. He knows how to sort of contribute in a, a small role. Um yeah, I, the one I thing I like about Noel better than McGee, though, would be that Noel is a, a, a lot more comfortable switching out to the perimeter. You know what I mean? Yeah. He still has good foot speed, but McGee would give you a better choice against a guy like Joel Embiid because he's yeah. still big. You know, yeah. Noel would get cooked. And we'll, we'll wait and see how it pans out, Nick. The, uh, the patience is probably not something that us as Nets fans are, are used to having. Sean Marks is normally good at it, but hopefully we do see some some upgrades and some additions because, yeah, three more spots, whether Perry gets converted or whether Jeremiah Martin or Elliot Kobo, I, I would prefer to see some, some vets in there because championship teams need those vets. Yeah, they need a wing. I think I saw a report somewhere that uh, Sean Marks is going to wait it out and let this team play a couple games before he makes a move to see what they need. But I think just an example for the second unit, we saw them put out a lineup of James Harden, Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, uh, TLC, and Reggie Perry. And I think that's just, yeah, it's just too small. Like, especially against some of these teams, like you need to have a backup wing. If we could just clone Jeff Green, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, he's been. We didn't really chat much about Jeff Green, but his performance tonight, you know, he's he just does everything. Like, he's yep. doing everything that we want. We want him to chip in for a little bit of defense. We want him to switch on to Giannis for a couple of possessions or Rook Lopez, get some important rebounds, hit some threes. He was on fire from three tonight, you know, consistently hitting that little post fadeaway that, that he loves. Uh, he is one of the best vet minimum signings. I'll say it till um, my voice is hoarse. He is an insatiable, incredible vet minimum signing. 
Yeah, and like you said, the four or five from three, that's just like a bonus. I'd never anticipate him knocking down all of his, you know, most of his threes. If he hits one for the night, I'm pretty happy with that. He's more there for the rebounding and the defense, and he provides a, a really nice option for the team. And occasionally, like we've mentioned before, he'll d- jump into his bag and pull something out and, you know, hit a fadeaway bucket on somebody. Yeah, I mean, this season, Nick, he's hitting 45.5% of his three-pointers. Yeah. And that percentage is only going to go up because that's via basketball reference. So after tonight, you'd expect it to probably go up to 46 47%. So, look, I bet you they're all wide open, too. Like, his threes are all just usually he's pretty patient, and it's just like I'm going to have my slow approach and just... Yeah, it's it's the Uncle Jeff, the old man Jeff sort of 3.0. Look, um, he has been a, a, an incredibly important piece for the Brooklyn Nets um, on and off the court. And uh, thank you, Sean Marks, for making that signing because they are incredibly important for this Brooklyn Nets team. 100%. Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Nah, mate, got plenty. I'm sure that we'll have plenty more to talk about when the scary hours are uh, as they do continue to approach. But, man, it's fun being a Brooklyn Nets fan right now. Yeah, 100%. And just a quick shout-out to Martin Luther King. Obviously, it's Martin Luther King Day. Just to show our appreciation, we dove a little bit deeper on the outlet, but it's important to recognize what he did for everything in this country and the life that we live now and being able to enjoy the sport in which we live. So, obviously, huge amount of respect and appreciation for a man of his magnitude and the impact he had on the world today. But, as always, a pleasure, Jack, and big thanks to everybody for listening. The time is always right to do what is right. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.